Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's wonderful to gather over the years and once again to find ourselves together at Harvey Cedars for such a weekend. We have uh, been coming here for a number of years, and as you know, every year the theme is spiritual something. And in keeping with that, we feel like it's a law. This year it's spiritual travail. I just wonder how you feel about that term. Um, and the fact of the matter is there has been some travail just for us coming together here this weekend. But the term itself seems very deep. Maybe the deepest of the deep. Maybe you feel a little bit of um, uh, intrepidation at this thought of a spiritual travail. And uh, I get to uh, introduce it this evening, and I hope I don't take you down into such depths of despair that you never get out again. Indeed, we have the Word of God to encourage us. And we find that spiritual travail is so, so important in these last days. So I'd like for us to just read some scriptures. Uh, first of all, for our encouragement from Romans, chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. In the end, we'll find that the process of spiritual travail has a lot to do with endurance and perseverance. And beginning in verse 3, we just want to read a few verses and see how wonderful the scriptures are to us in encouraging us. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll remember the very first words, what he's talking about is coming to a place where we no longer please ourselves, even as Jesus did. Then we want to turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And just read a, a few verses there in verses 10 through 12. Isaiah 53. Verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the travail of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. And then we want to turn to just one verse in Colossians chapter 1. And verse 24, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And then finally to Galatians chapter 4, which is the verse written on the uh, brochure for this weekend. Uh, chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 19. My children, with whom I am again in travail, until Christ is formed in you. So we will be speaking this weekend on this matter of spiritual travail, very important matter, a matter of some maturity and depth to be sure. And we have to acknowledge right at the start that I don't know that there's anybody who's really qualified to speak on something like this. Spiritual travail is something that the Lord lays upon certain ones who he finds a heart that corresponds with him. And it's a great mystery. This whole matter of travail has a, has a mystery about it that you know goes right through creation. As Paul talks about all of creation joining in this travail. And certainly there's travail in the heavenlies as well as here among his church. We're talking about something that can only be explained by this process of a woman giving childbirth this travail process. There's something that the Lord does that plants a seed. And that seed is nurtured in a, in a hidden place, in the womb. And it's nurtured for a period of time. There is a, a travail in waiting and a travail for a fullness to develop. And then finally there's this anguish and this pain in the actual birth and that's the only uh, word that can be used to describe what Paul was feeling here as he spoke to the Galatians and said, even as I bore you with the gospel and you were born again, I find myself again in some kind of travail. There is something in me that is groaning and, and, and waiting and praying and in anguish until Christ is fully formed in you. Now, this is not something that man can uh, manufacture. We may try, but it doesn't last very long. This is something the Lord indeed has to do. 
And it goes right back to what we read there in Isaiah 53. So it'd be good if we went back there just for a moment. Because we see that the travail of travails was the servant of the Lord, even Jesus himself. And this comes to the very heart of the whole matter of travail. It's because of the Lord Jesus and his travail that we have been born again. What a tremendous birthing this was. What a tremendous travail this was. He bore us in his heart. He carried us all the way to Calvary. He died on our behalf. By his stripes we were healed. There was such a travail. And now as a result, look at the life. The life that issues out because of this travail of our Lord Jesus. And we see this as an extreme travail. And this redemptive travail, nobody else can do. Who else can do that? Who else is a perfect man? Who else understands the heart of God? Who else could lay down their lives in such a way? Only our Lord Jesus. There is no other one who travailed for us unto redemption and eternal life. But now, in a wonderful mystery of cooperation as his body, we're invited to participate, to cooperate in a travail that is beyond us. It's not a travail just as if we could redeem people. This we cannot do. When Paul says, I do my part in filling up that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ, he's not talking about anything redemptive that he can do. But he's talking specifically there to the Colossians, whom he knows have found the Lord and they are Christians. But now he's burdened for those Colossians and agonizing and groaning and cooperating for this process of the effect of Jesus' finished work on Calvary being completed. And in this matter, we're asked to join in, to travail for the completion, to, to, to travail for sonship, to travail for the preparation of the bride. These are, these are matters of, of just filling up that which the Lord Jesus did when he died and rose again in the gospel. And so we see these things and the fact that we can cooperate. And so we're coming and speaking this weekend about spiritual travail. Now, I just want to introduce, uh, as it were, this topic this evening, rather than by definition or anything like that, which I'm sure we'll hear plenty of. I want to introduce this matter of spiritual travail by looking at travail in the lives of the Old Testament prophets. Just to look at some of the prophets in the Old Testament, and especially just to note or underscore three very positive things that come out of spiritual travail. Now I say that just because I feel like sometimes I can almost sense a heaviness fall upon us as you just mentioned the word spiritual travail. Have you, brother, entered into spiritual travail? <clears throat> There's a real heaviness there, maybe even a, a slightly negative sense of reluctance. So this evening I want to share what I consider three tremendous and positive uh, effects of this matter of spiritual travail. The first thing, through the prophets we'll see these things. 
First, we'll see the positive nature of spiritual travail. Now, have you ever considered that? It's a very positive and wonderful process. Secondly, we want to look at the higher ground of spiritual travail. Again, a very wonderful thought. And then a third, we will simply look at the broader ground that we find ourselves on in spiritual travail. All right? So those three things. And I just hope that there'll be a positive encouragement to you as we begin tonight. Now we want to start with Isaiah. Ernie always goes to the book of Ephesians. I always go to the book of Isaiah. So uh, I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 66 and see here a reference made to travail in its positive aspects. Now for those of you who have known a measure of travail and spiritual travail, you know that there is much... uh, Groaning and much waiting before the Lord and much that is difficult to bear at times. But let's look at these positive things and encourage our hearts tonight by the scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 66, we see the positive nature of spiritual travail. I'd like for us to look at verses 7 through 10. Isaiah 66, verses 7 through 10. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I give, uh, shall I who gives delivery shut the womb, says your God? Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. Be exceedingly glad with her, all you who mourn over her. This is where I'd like for us to start. Here we see a joyful statement in verse 10. Look at that again. Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. Be exceedingly glad with her, all you who mourn over her. All you who mourn over her, now be exceedingly glad. And when we see this Isaiah chapter 66 in the context of what Isaiah is sharing, here we find Isaiah in his final position before the Lord took him. He's up on the wall of Zion as one of those watchmen who's giving the Lord no peace. Night and day he's reminding the Lord. And he's giving the Lord no rest until Zion is made a praise and a glory in the earth. He's got a burden in him. He's travailing over this thing up on the walls. That's in Isaiah chapter 62. And in Isaiah chapter 64, it opens up with that tremendous scripture, Rend the heavens and come down. And here again Isaiah 
And those who are travailing and praying are praying that God would come down and reveal his glory throughout the earth. Tremendous prayers of intercession and travail, asking God to fulfill his promises to Zion. Well, here, is, here are some brethren who are in the midst of travail. And yet here we read these words, be joyful with Jerusalem. Now, how is it that Isaiah, in the midst of his travail, there on the wall, watching day and night, praying day and night, and his fellow brethren, perhaps his own sons joining him, how can they at the same time be joyful? Well, of course, you see the first answer. Because spiritual travail has a glorious end. Spiritual travail has a glorious end. And the end is Zion. Oh, rejoice you who mourn. Because God will come for Jerusalem. And God will come again to Zion. And, and knowing this, they're able to pray. What a positive thing. What a wonderful thing. These watchmen on the hill. You see, spiritual travail is fueled by the hope of glory. Now, you know, as Christians, we live by faith, hope, and love. And as we go on as Christians, hope becomes a more real part to us as we understand the Lord is coming back. And this hope of glory fuels our spiritual travail as we're waiting for our Lord to come back. And so Paul, in this Colossians chapter 1, where he's talking about filling up that which is lacking, and at the very beginning of chapter 2, Paul says, I am agonizing. I am struggling to present you complete in Christ and to reveal to you the mystery of mysteries, Christ, the mystery of God. Paul is agonizing. Why? We see in the same context, right? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what's fueling Paul's agonizing and his travail for those dear saints in Colossae. Or how about that wonderful passage in Romans chapter 5? You remember where Paul talks about being saved by grace and having peace with God. And then he says, but we rejoice in our tribulations. You remember that? A very strange passage as it first hits our ear. We rejoice in our tribulations because we know that tribulations works patience and patience works character. And hope does not disappoint us. Because as we exercise in this process of glory to glory, the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts, the love of God. What, what, what tr tremendous energy is found for those engaged in spiritual travail. The hope of glory only becomes stronger the more we exercise uh, these promises before the Lord. And so we see how wonderful and how positive is spiritual travail. It's wonderful because there's a glorious end. Reason number two in Isaiah why is spiritual travail very positive? Reason number two, because it has a glorious beginning. 
As we turn back to Isaiah and chapter 42, we just read a wonderful verse here, verse 14. We find something that perhaps uh, would be a little surprising to us at first, but of course we realize afterwards it isn't. In Isaiah 42 and verse 14, this is the Lord speaking. I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and restrained myself. But now, like a woman in labor, I will groan. I will both gasp and pant. Now, what is the Lord talking about here? And here we see something that is so amazing in this mystery of travail. All real spiritual travail starts in the travail of God. Who is travailing in this passage? God himself. Now, I think many times we have an idea of God that he, well, he's just set up everything and salvation, it's done, it's over with, and the Holy Spirit's working away, and so God kind of washed his hands of the whole thing and he's just watching it transpire. But the, the record of the Bible shows a God who's intensely involved, intercessorily, and by giving aid to all those who want God's way. And we see that there's a God, one side of God, who groans. I have been waiting. I have been groaning. But, and like labor, I am about to give birth to something. I can't hold it in any longer, God says. Well, now the point is this. Whenever we find uh, something taking our hearts in travail, it's something that's come from the heart of God. Isn't that wonderful? Somehow, in our relationship with the Lord and through His Word and through prayer, the Lord has planted a seed of something that he has desired. And he plants it into our heart and he says, Do you feel it? Do you desire it? And now it's for us to take that up and bring it back and wait before the Lord and wrestle before the Lord and, until that seed gives birth. But it's marvelous. It began in the heart of God. Now, in one sense, the prophets who came at the end of the Old Testament economy. The prophets represent a revealing of the heart of God. You know, we know God revealed his law in the, uh, in the first five books, and then the Lord raised up judges, and then the Lord ra raised up priests, and then the Lord raised up kings. But after all of the law and all of the services and sacrifices and all that the priests and kings could do, when Israel began to fail, when Israel began continually broke the covenant over and over again, God could not be silent. And he expressed his heart, even sometimes his broken heart, that his own children had forsaken him. And it was the prophets who had this un unpopular ministry 
of sharing the Lord's heart with his people. You know that the prophets were not received well because they shared God's heart and the people had an idea that God loved them because they were his covenant children chosen by God so God loved them. Well, he did love them. But that wasn't the point. When the prophets came along, they said, Don't you understand what the Lord is saying? I am jealous for you. And so the prophets presented a very living God who has strong feelings. Now I pause for just a moment. Do we think the Lord has strong feelings? I mean, we, we look around on our situation today and we see that it's pretty shabby sometimes, pretty compromised. And do we think the Lord says, oh well, they're doing the best they can. Or do you understand, do we see that there is a Lord who has intense feelings, travail. And this travail in the prophets comes out in two ways. Here in Isaiah 42, what is he talking about? What is this labor that he's in, this gasping and this panting like a woman in labor? What is he waiting to do? He's waiting to bring judgment on Babylon. If you read the context, you'll understand what this is all about. Babylon has abused and misused the captive children. And has, Babylon has spoken its pride and stood against Jehovah. And now God is saying, I'm in travail and I can't wait any longer. I'm going to send my judgment upon this Babylon for her evil and her corrupt ways. So th that's basically what this is about. Our God, our God of righteousness, holiness, and love is travailing, waiting to bring judgment to the earth. Now again, does that sound negative? In the Lord's eyes, he's saying, can I please come down to earth and clean things up? I want them the way I made them. I want my son to be king of all. I want a kingdom of righteousness, love, and light. And it's time to come and fix it up. I want to come. I want to come. And somehow God is restrained and holding back in order to show mercy for another person and for another situation before his judgment comes. Do you believe the Lord is travailing right now? desiring to reveal his glory. Do you think he likes it when people curse and use his name all the time in vain? Do you think he likes it when people talk about Jesus in such an uh, underhanded, just a disgraceful way? Do you think he likes that? I, I, just, I just sense in the prophets that God is travailing, holding back the judgments that are sure to come. But there's another aspect to it too. And what's that? He's travailing, desiring to completely overwhelm his children with love. He's being restrained by our rejections, by our independence, by our refusings. And so we find in another verse here in Isaiah 49, if you'll turn there, we just see again this sense of the Lord groaning and travailing. In Isaiah 49, we begin in verse 14. 
Of course, the Lord is disciplining his children. And he is talking and says in verse 14, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Now here is the Lord's travail. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Wow, there's, a, there's an agonizing God waiting to pour out his life. How much he wants to be with his children. How much he wants to establish Zion, a glory in the earth. But he's held back. But you sense his travail and his groaning. It's very wonderful to me. It's very positive. Look at the heart of God. He wants to love. He wants to reveal more of his son to us. He wants to set things up in righteousness and in blessing. He's travailing on that. And it must be a wonderful thing when the Lord plants that in your heart and we see his jealous love, his jealous love for his children. So when we enter into spiritual travail, it means we've found God's heart in some matter. There has been a seed planted into us. He is sharing with us his intentions. Immediately you think, don't you, of Abraham and how the Lord came to Abraham before he would destroy Sodom and said, you know what, I've got to talk to Abraham about what I'm going to do. I want to share with Abraham what I want to do. How wonderful the Lord is to want to share his travail with us. That we could enter in and even pray and intercede as Abraham tried to do for Lot and the city of Sodom. And we know this. When the Lord travails with a divine travailing, we know that life will issue in the end. Now, when the Lord travails, he does not travail in vain. And when he desires something, he will bring it to pass. And just the knowing of that, when we enter into spiritual travail, should give us great encouragement. The Lord keeps his promises. When the Lord bears something, he brings it to birth and to fullness. And so we see the positive side. Okay, do we see that? Why, why do I say the spiritual travail is a, is a positive thing? One, because its end is glorious and wonderful. And secondly, because its beginning begins in the heart of God. How wonderful that is. What could be purer motive than the heart of God? And so we get to participate in this great mystery. Now the second thing through the prophets I want to share, is the higher ground of spiritual travail. One thing that we experience in our lives is if we will take up these burdens, if we will be faithful and lay them before the Lord, He brings us to higher ground. Now, the one that I want to use to uh, share this with you is Daniel. So, uh, of course, there's so much in this, in all of these wonderful books, but let's just turn to chapter 8, uh, chapter 9. 
chapter 9, and we'll begin reading just the last verse 27 of chapter 8. So beginning in Daniel 8, 27. We see Daniel is in travail. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up again and carried on the king's business. But I was astounded at the vision, and there was none to explain it. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So I set myself to seek God by prayer and supplications and fastings and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. And so, having read this scripture, this promise, after 70 years of captivity, the children would go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the house. Having seen that promise, he sets his heart to pray and travail in this matter. Now this prayer is long and very involved. We're just trying to pick out some points. So let's go to the end of the prayer in verse 16 and read several verses. Daniel 9, verse 16. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O oh my God, incline your ear and heart, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassions. O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive, O oh Lord, listen and take action for your own sake, O oh my God. Do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instructions and talked to me. Now we don't want to go into all of the things that he was shown at that time, but we just see Daniel here in, in tremendous travail. Tremendous travail. The Lord had laid hold of his heart in regard to this promise of the return to Jerusalem. And he was praying. But what I want to emphasize here is this. 
How can somebody pray with such travail? He was exhausted, he says. When someone enters into spiritual travail, he is enabled by the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus. A person, a Christian, cannot travail in their own strength. This is something that must be done on resurrection ground. Daniel, as it were, came to the end of himself. And then here comes an angel and revives him. I see that angel is just a restoring spirit, quickening him again. And if you read Daniel, it's interesting to me as I was reading this uh, yesterday, as I read through the book and I saw how often Daniel says this. And I went back and studied the night visions. Now, if you'll notice the reference to the calendar in chapter 9, uh, verse 1, I want to make a point by showing something here. In the first year of Darius, okay, if you go back to chapter 6 and verse 1, And we see in verse 31 of chapter 5 that so Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them the commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Well, now, the reason I want to bring chapter 6 and chapter 9 and their first verses together is this. This is the same period of time. At this same time that he is now virtually the prime minister of the Persian, of, of the empire of the Chaldeans. At that same time, he's on his knees in anguish in prayer regarding the return to Jerusalem. How can a person live this contradictory life? Certainly it's a Daniel, you have to quit your job in order to travail before the Lord. But here was Daniel with a face anointed by the Spirit as he stood before the heads of state and, and did his job as a, whatever he was, an exchequer, defense minister, or a diplomat, and all of the arrangements and the oversight of the various governors and satraps. What an amazing job this man had. He was enabled by God with an extraordinary spirit to be a prime minister by day and a travailer by night. Now, nobody can do that except by the life of the Lord himself. This is resurrection ground. And when we think of this matter of travail, this matter of a, a woman laying hold of, uh, about to give childbirth, and we think of all of the groaning and everything it all has to do with life. The travail issues from life, and it issues life. So when somebody comes into a measure of travail, and is truly from the Lord, it's an amazing thing. You'll find yourself happy in Jesus, and able to do the things we're called on to do. Now, not many of us, does the Lord say, 
Okay, I want you to leave the world. Get you a little cottage in western Pennsylvania. And just seek my face. No, most of us, he says, take that job. Be responsible. Do your work. And not only that, be the light of the world while you're at work. And then come on home. Because we've got some night visions to talk about. And, you know, it isn't that Daniel said, and I was asleep, and the angel woke up and said, okay, time for travail. And Daniel said, oh, no, no, not more. He found by the evening that his heart was pursuing. What do you mean, Lord, in these visions? What is it that you're trying to say? And, of course, Daniel received such spiritual intelligence regarding the end of time, regarding the kingdoms of this world and regarding the soon coming of the Son of Man. What a wonderful intelligence that is. But it was gained as he travailed before the Lord. And so I just want to say that when the Lord would lead us into something, we need to do this and live this by His on resurrection ground, living by His life as He speaks to us and helps us and opens the door. So isn't that wonderful? Spiritual travails on higher ground. He gives us the life to wait before him to bring up these issues. And Daniel, of course, was an exceptional, exceptional man. There's just no doubt about it. But even us in our own little ways on whatever jobs we have, there is a morning and there is an evening. There is a life of grace an overcoming life during the daytime as we're out there working on a job. And there's the overcoming life at night in our spiritual travail for God's full purpose to come in. Isn't it wonderful that Daniel sees the Son of Man coming on the clouds at night and then in the daytime he goes to the so-called king over the empire. I think it's quite a strange twofold life. But anyway, only Daniel could live such a life. But the point is, is spiritual travail is on higher ground. Now the last uh, point, I hope these things encourage, is that spiritual travail also seeks out broader ground. Not just higher ground, but broader ground. Well, now let's see what, what on earth I mean by that. When we go back and look in Numbers chapter 11, we see Moses in a bit of a pickle. He's taken the children of Israel just about as far as he can take them. And we read in verse 10. Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased as well. And Moses said to the Lord, Now why have you been so hard on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Was it I who conceived all these people? Was it I who brought them forth that the, you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom? as a nurse carries a nursing infant 
to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people. It is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me, if I have found favor in your sight. And do not let me see my wretchedness. Oh, it's not that real travail cannot cause us to be weary. Moses bore all of those children of Israel, the whole motley crew, in his bosom. All of those carnal ones, the complaining ones. And he carried them all. Led them patiently. Don't you know he was tempted to hit the rock? Uh, you see, he had to bear with these children. Even as the Lord, uh, of course the Lord has great patience, but the Lord was bearing with them too. And he was asking Moses to join in this travail and bear with him. But Moses says, you know Lord, I can't do it anymore. And of course, what's the Lord's uh, response? Well, there it is in verse 16. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders. Let's choose them up. You need help. And when I say that spiritual travail tends to lead us toward broader ground, dear brothers and sisters, if we are going to enter into travail over tremendous issues, we need brothers and sisters to pray along with us. There are many times that seed planted in our hearts, in our secret place, in the closet. But those seeds can usually, it's God's way for those seeds to come to birth in the house of prayer. You may sense a burden and bring it to others, but in the end, we must pray about these together. What large issues we're talking about. The recovery of the Lord's testimony. The preparation of the bride. God's eternal purpose. All wonderful, tremendous things, but we cannot bear them alone. Now, sometimes we do make a mistake, and I put it this way. And think that spiritual travail is depression. But there's really a great difference. Depression is a, is a matter of body, soul, and spirit going down under something. And uh, I leave that to those who understand depression more to talk about all that's involved. But spiritual travail is different in this way. Because you find that your relationship to the Lord is fine. You find yourself, perhaps even, could I say, happy in Jesus. But yet under great spiritual travail. Now that's not depression. You must understand there's a process of taking all of those cares and bringing them to the Lord and leaving them with Him. And then He gives them back to you. And then you wrestle with them and you give them back to Him. I mean, this is, there's a process here. So don't either mistake spiritual travail for depression or allow spiritual travail to bring you into depression, which could happen if you do it alone. And in this same light, we see finally the last guy I'll bring up, because we all already have got to him, is uh, Elijah. Right? In 1 Kings chapter 19, 
We see Elijah under the juniper tree wanting the Lord to take his life. You know, sometimes when, when we're travailing over those things the Lord has placed in our lives, we lose our way in the midst of the process. And what was Elijah's great burden? For the restoration of the kingdom. All the twelve tribes restored in the kingdom. One pile of stones of testimony. That was Elijah's burden. But along the way with the prophets of Baal and now with Jezebel chasing after him, he lost his way in it and became discouraged and got under the tree. We, we just note there in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it's enough now, O Lord, take my life. I'm not better than my father's. And of course, the Lord knows what he needed and um, fixed him up a real nice soup, which always does the trick. And so an angel came and gave him some soup. You know, see, perhaps Elijah lost the fact, but you can only do spiritual travail on resurrection ground. His travail came out of what? The very first thing we read about Elijah was Jehovah before whom I stand has sent me to tell you it will not rain. So he lived his life before the Lord. There's resurrection life right there. But now out there under the trees lost it all. And so the Lord helps him and he gets up and he runs some more and he gets to a cave and now he's in the cave mood. And he's hiding in the cave and brooding in the cave. And when the great uh, actions of an almighty God come and shake with wind and earthquake and fire, he's not impressed anymore. He's so weary. But what does he really need? What does he really need? He needs a broader ground. The Lord says to him, now Elijah, there's 7,000 just like you. You're not alone. Now, there's a good chance that there's some dear brother and sister who is here, and you come from some place that I probably don't even know, and you have been travailing alone. Well, the first thing that the Lord would say to you is, you're not alone. There's 7,000 who are praying regarding these very things for the reviving of his people, for the recovery of his testimony. You're not alone in it. And, and you know, Elijah had to hear that. He was so zealous for the Lord, but he thought he was all alone. The Lord said, no, no, there's wider ground. <clears throat> but the Lord wasn't satisfied just to give him the knowledge that there's 7,000 faceless people out there. He said, now, I want you to do something else. Elijah, God gave him three orders. You know, First is the 7,000. Second, go down and meet Elisha and let him walk along with you, talk with you, pray with you. Carry the burden with you. That's what he needed. Hmm? And then one more thing. Okay, you're burdened about the kingdom and a king. I want you to anoint Jehu. He'll be a good zealous king. And he was all right. But it gave, him, it gave Elijah something to do, some outlet for this burden that he felt for the kingdom. And so the Lord does with us. You know, I don't want to... When I say these things are very positive, they are very positive. But of course, I don't want to convey at all that spiritual travail does not have an agony about it. 
because in the lives of all of these people that we've touched, there was agony and there was travail and there was a bringing to birth. And I hope as we consider this matter of spiritual travail this weekend, I know that some of you have been so faithful through the years and the Lord truly has given you a heart to travail over things beyond yourself. So wonderful that there's so many saints that the Lord has in many different places. But if you're one of those younger ones here, or one of those newer ones in the Lord, and, and the tra spiritual travail sounds a little bit frightening to you, I just wanted to encourage you. The Lord gets to his goal as we gather in travail. He could do it all by himself, but he wants us to be involved. Will you hear the call? Will you rise up to higher ground? Will you broaden out in spiritual travail? May the Lord help us. He really is wanting to express his heart to all of his children and to make us feel and understand what he feels and plans. So may we enter in. Let, let's just have a word of prayer. We're so thankful, Lord, that the prophets give us great encouragement because they were faithful, having heard your heart, to go and speak to a people who didn't want to listen. We think of Isaiah saying, Here am I, send me. And then the Lord saying, Okay, I'm going to send you to a people who won't listen. And so he entered into a lifelong of travail for a people that God had on his heart. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us in our lives. And we believe as we come toward the end of time that there are some things that you desire to bring to fullness, to bring to birth. And you need some people to travail on these lines. Lord, we ask for your help that we may see how wonderful it is to bring things to life. We thank you that your will comes from a heart that is anxious and longing. We understand in just some small way that what our Lord did on Calvary, he now longs to complete with a bride. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to enter in to sense the groan of your heart and to say amen, Lord. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, grant us all, reluctant as we might be, to see that we're doing something that measures in life and measures in glory. Oh, help us, Lord, to be faithful in these last days. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.